pretty smart ladies. Because people have opinions. I did a weird thing, then you did a weird thing. Weird in a way that was not my weird. Well, if you have enough peanuts, it should just bring harmony, right? Everybody, get down. Get down on the ground. Get on your knees, because we need to be small. We're supposed to exercise and eat healthy food and drink water. Leave me alone. I'm not going to bed at the same time every night. Um, Everyone, Michelle used her mom voice. <laughs> I mean, and I, I don't want to compare my kid to dogs. It might be squirrel murderers, but we still like ice cream. <laughs> when will my friend die? When will my friend die? Hmm. This one's a challenge. My, both of my eyes are twitching. Hello and welcome to Angreement with Michelle and me, Catherine. And this is our podcast in which we bring you three things every week. We bring you a weird thing, a pop culture a pop thing, culture thing, and a research thing. And then and at the we end, clearly don't plan out our intros. Yeah, we have no no organization to this. Chaos reigns. Um, at the end much like this chaos that just reigned. We then try to rein it all in and tie it together into a neat little fortune cookie saying that you can take with you for the next two weeks until we come back and say something else. Okay, so Michelle, this is episode 16. 16. I, you know, I read a statistic today that um, most podcasts don't make it past episode seven. I'm so proud of us. We more than doubled that. Doubled. But I'm really you know, proud. You know, yeah. listeners, how you could help us keep it going. You could submit grab bags, send us your grab bags as an audio clip, or just write it up and we'll read it, or let us know and we'll bring you on live to record it with us um, to angrymentpodcast at gmail.com. So you can send us a weird thing, a pop culture thing or a research thing, and you'll help us keep the energy going. We got to make it till 20. And if we don't get grab bags, we might just get sad and say, what's the point? Right. My threatening her. Right. Do you, do you want to be the reason that we don't make it? So Michelle, what is your weird thing this week? So my weird thing is, (laughs) did you see that there was a viral TikTok going around of a guy responding, and I'm going to sound like the old person that I am to be like, on the Facebooks, did you see the... (laughs) (laughs) Did you see the tickety talks on the Instagrammies? (laughs) So so I'm probably not appropriately, because I only watch TikTok when it's like shared on some other old person platform, right? Like, right. What are, we, what are we considering an old person platform these days? Is Facebook, Instagram old? Facebook is an old person platform. Oh, definitely. For sure. I don't know about Instagram, but I don't use Instagram much because I use Facebook because I'm an old person. <laughs> um, but let me find the name of this the, of this TikToker real quick. This tickety talk that I got was from someone named at Parker West, who was responding, Parker R. West, who was responding to um, a different TikTok asking for um, a time when the amount of work and the amount of pay did not match. And this person responded by saying that Kristen Bell's example from Gossip Girl was what he wanted to use as his, these two things don't match. 
He went on to say, the day I found out how much she made, I wanted nothing to do with the life that I have, which is a pretty <laughs> extreme statement. And the reason that he said that was because she was reportedly paid $125,000 per episode. And if you don't know, Kristen Bell was the voice of Gossip Girl, the title character of, of the show, right? So she doesn't appear on there. She's just the voice. She's the narrator. And there are 121 episodes of Gossip Girl. So he did the math and said that Kristen Bell had to have made $15,125,000 for her performance on Gossip Girl. And I was like, that is not right. Like, I, <laughs> like the, the uh, English teacher in me is like, let's go check your sources because I don't think you're right. The source that he was citing, he had just Googled like some, so it had pulled up this like celebrity net worth page or whatever. Uh. And it had taken a single line of it and like highlighted it. But if you read the actual article, that was how much she was currently getting paid as the star of the fourth season of The Good Place. Ah, very different. A lot more sense, right? Like different. And, but even like just a teeny bit of critical thinking, like her entire net worth was only $20 million. So for her to have made 15 million just for being the voice of Gossip Girl, when that's not even something she's well known for, just... I don't know. So my weird thing is just either like, either it's wrong or she has a sick secret gambling problem we don't know about. I mean, it would have to be like I don't know. It's a very very in depth gambling problem, right? Um. So I don't know. So I just I think that it was just so obviously not true, and this guy was just so passionately describing how one lives his own life anymore. <laughs> Oh, that's so frustrating. So my weird thing is just like, and, and it went viral. Like this video of him talking about yeah. like, was getting all these shares and and, spark, and people were in the comments being like, did you read the article? Because I don't think that's what it says. But I, it's still just like, how many people are going to go around saying that, that Kristen Bell made $15 million from Gossip Girl without I mean, ever having considered it any deeper than that? I think rate, rates of pay for Hollywood are pretty obscene. Taking that out of the equation, she was the titular gossip girl. And I don't think I would be that mad. In the last episode, we talked about how, like, if you're a juggler, like, once you get more than five or seven, <laughs> like, they're like, I don't, it's a lot. You can juggle seven things. You can juggle 27 things. And the human brain's just like, I don't know. That's a lot. So it's kind of like. At some point, the amount of money we're talking about, you're like, sure. Yeah, it could be seven million. It could be fifteen million. It's a lot of monies. Good job, monies. Have you watched Gossip Girl? Never seen it. What would be in your life the biggest disparity in the amount of work you were doing and money you were getting, for good or for bad? Hmm. I mean, I guess that as somebody who runs my own small business, there's a lot of times when I do a ton of work for no pay, right? Cause like, um, and I was just talking about this with another friend who, who's running a small business. And it's like, you have to do so much of the, of the like the setup work, you know, like, cause you have to have a functioning website and you have to have ad copy and you have to have images and you have to have like just so many tiny little things that don't even look like work because that's just like the, like the, that's the bare minimum of what you have to look legitimate. Yeah, you have to build all of your own infrastructure. Yeah. Right. right. 
And so, uh, I mean, you can hire people to do all of that, but then, you know, you might not be doing your work, but you're losing all the money. Right. Um, and so I, I think that would be the biggest disparity between that. I also, as a a ghostwriter, um, I had a, a client that was like a high paying and I was so, it was early in my ghostwriting career and I was so freaked out because it was like so much higher pay than I know. So I was like, this article has to be like, there has to be a trick. There has to be something that makes this harder. And like, so I ended up spending way more time on it than I should have, because like, I just kept rereading it. And I'm like, I don't understand. Like, what am I missing? I had, and finally I was like, I can't do any more to it. So I just sent it. And I was like, they're going to tell me no way. Like, and they immediately were like, awesome, amazing work. Great job. Exactly what we were looking for. And it just blew my mind. So <laughs> yeah. Cause once you get to a certain level, you're like, who's going to wave the magic wand and make this worth this level? It's like, no, you just, you've arrived. You're there. Good job. And that was like a one time, you know, like it was because they needed it. They needed a fast turnaround. You know, they needed it like within 12 hours and it was, you know, like a thought piece coming from some high level person and they had the money. So they were willing to pay for it. So it was just like a one-time gig, but it certainly made all the rest of them feel like, oh, well, I'd like well, to, I would like a lot of money for this one too, please. <laughs> can just keep getting it. That's cool. Okay. What's your biggest? My, oh, my biggest, I would have to say adjuncting yeah. when I was an adjunct, because that is, especially when I was adjuncting at multiple universities within oh. the same city. I once did the math on like the actual hours I spent on adjunct labor, including like the time I had to spend traveling back and forth and the time I had to like spend in the mandatory office hours and the time I had to spend grading papers. And I was making just barely over minimum wage. And it was, yeah, is really heartbreaking. We've talked about that because there's ways to do it and make a higher wage, but we both really, really can't not put our all into it. And so I was, I was doing so many hours of prep for class and so many hours of commenting more than, right? Exactly. The amount of hours I was working was putting me well, well, well under minimum wage. And then one of the universities by bus was about an hour to an hour and a half bus ride. So if like you take that into account that it was a three hour commute every day and yeah, but I loved it. I, I, that's the that's the hell of it. Loved yeah. loved teaching. I love what I do. Other than that, it would have to be something where I hated what I did. That even though it was still not a lot of, yeah, some some working at emos or working at McDonald's time, or just the uh, way you were treated, you should have gotten paid so much right. more. Because like I worked at McDonald's. Um, <laughs> and sadly, we never worked at that. We both worked at the same McDonald's, but, not but never together. Not at the same time. experience. Yeah, uh, I think that I think that McDonald's is the only job that I like quit without notice. That I same. Just, like I was like, I'm not coming back. And they, you know, they were like, <laughs> I didn't know my social security number and didn't have it. Just gave them a made up social security number when I applied and still got the job and still got my money. Uh, that job. Cause I, I was 16 and I was so shy at 16. Like I was so painfully shy and I never like, especially around like adults or any authority figure, I never spoke back and that job broke me. So 
for those of you who are like, my God, Michelle, you are too much chill out. It's McDonald's fault because there was, there was a manager there who was just, and now like knowing what I know now, like he was probably, it was, he was probably at his breaking point every day too. But because I was the youngest person there, I might have even been 15 because I think they hired people at 15. So I was, yeah. I, th- I think I was, cause I don't think I could drive yet. I think I had to get like dropped off. So because I was the youngest person there, I wasn't allowed to do any of the complex jobs, like, you know, scoop fries, because that was, that was too much responsibility um, or work a cash register. Cause that was way too much responsibility. Ooh. And so I was, um, I, my entire job, my entire job was to put the meat patties on the already dressed buns and wrap them up and throw them through the window so that they could bag them. Like, so all I did was pull, drop, wrap, pull, drop, wrap. I didn't ever get to work the part. Stay sane. I did not. I did not. That's the thing. That's how we get Michelle today that we know and love. (laughs) So they, I, I didn't even get to do like the ketchup and mustard part because that took required a precision that they were afraid that 15 year old me wouldn't have. Um, I didn't get to, like, I literally only, so I had been working there for four weeks and that was the only thing they would let me do. And I was begging the man. I was like, can you please just train me how to do literally anything else? I am, I'm a hard worker. I will do literally anything else. Like I will, I will go clean bathrooms. I will scrape gum off of something like please just let me not just stand here anymore um and so one day they were really 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 backed up and like I'm sure somebody had decided they weren't coming in anymore and yeah shorthanded or whatever and there were two managers on the shift and the female manager comes over to me and she says hey I'm I have to have some help up front can you please come up front and um, I'm going to just train you real quick on how and I was like, yes, yes, I will do what I will do anything. It's my moment. <laughs> and like, so I get to this register and it literally like there's no codes or anything. It's just the words. I'm like, you thought the I registers there's are <laughs> so weird. <laughs> but, but I mean, like it was this. So it's not like it's not like you're memorizing prices. No. It's not like there's a right. It's just like they say the thing and you hit the words they just said. <laughs> right. <laughs> And so I was doing it and I was doing fine. Like I required no training. It was fine. I was doing exactly what needed to be done. The other manager comes up and in front of this packed lobby gets a foot and a half from my face and, and screams at me. What are you doing up here? You get back on that line with the beef where you belong. What? With the beef where you belong? (laughs) So I did that. And I was clearly very angry. Like I was like throwing these sandwiches through the, I was so mad. Laying in that beef. (laughs) So I was, I can still remember, like I'm getting a little mad just thinking about it. Like your cheeks are very flushed. I was so angry. I was, because I had followed the other manager's orders and so he comes through and he's like, you know, this kind of jokey guy. He's like, oh, you look like you're a little angry. I'm like, yeah. And like, I was, and, and at this point, like I hardly said words there, right? I was super shy. I just came in and stood and wrapped my sandwiches. I hardly ever talked to anybody. And, um, but I'm like flinging these things through. He's like, do you need to like, 
are, are you okay? And I'm like, no, I'm not okay. He's like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I was up there because I was told to go up there. And he was like, oh, well, I didn't know that. I'm like, and you didn't bother to find the fuck out before you cheered me out in front of a whole lobby full of people. And at this point, like, I swear it was like a movie. Everybody has stopped moving. Like <laughs> everybody's just staring at me. Like, little 15 year old Michelle is not said two words. <laughs> it's just exploding in the middle. And he's like, I think, I think you need a soda break. <laughs> <laughs> and I quit shortly after that. Um, but yeah. two years later, two full years later. So I had to have been 15 because I was 17 when I was working at Dairy okay. Queen. So two full years later, I'm working at Dairy Queen and he comes in like as a customer. And at that, I was, a, I was managing at the Dairy Queen. Right. So I'm like, you know, running around doing all kinds of you're good at what you do. Light you shine. Right. And um, so I was like, I recognized him. I'm like, no way does he recognize me, right? He's had 10 million 15-year-olds come through McDonald's. And so, you know, I'm giving him his food. Thank you. Have a great night. And he's leaning on the counter and he leans over to the owner and he's like, this one here, <laughs> she's a hard worker, but she's a spitfire. So you be careful. <laughs> Ew. What? So it was, a, it was my fast food experience was yeah that was a lot of work for yeah just the way you're because everyone's just oh exposable I I not to not to brag I got to work the drive through not not where you take orders just where you give them their food and you have to fill the drinks up but at least there's something to think about and you can look out a window yeah yeah there's a window there it's not just beef but yeah. i mean once i worked at dairy queen i was once running the drive through and the front line by myself so there's the Ooh. opposite of the spectrum yeah but, but all mean, that to say cuz like the beginning beef line day not my beef line days but all that to say like you know, were talking about the disparity between the amount of work you do and the amount of pay so like technically the amount of work I was doing of just picking this thing up and wrapping these sandwiches was not a lot of work but like the emotional toll of doing the same thing over and over oh. again and being treated so badly that is a lot of work right like like the actual physical labor was not much but the the environment like you would have to pay me a whole lot to do it today Oh my gosh. Yeah. The drive-thru window, you just got screamed at so much, so much yelling at so much. I, I finally threw a milkshake at someone and that's when I quit. I don't think I've heard this story. Yep. Why did you yep. throw a milkshake? You remember? I genuinely cannot remember now, but I did throw a milkshake at someone. I, it was more like, Oh, sorry. You know, you, we were both very shy. It's not like I actually went, Bleh. But it was very purposeful, accidentally on purpose, spilled a milkshake all over them. And that's when you realized you were becoming someone you didn't want to be. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I was like, I have to get out of here. And Gotta I get was, out. Like, I've worked a lot of those kinds of jobs. Like, I had a lot of jobs as a teenager and into my early adulthood. And, like, there were, McDonald's was a special kind of hell. Like, it yeah, was. Absolutely. It was, it's own, like I worked at Walmart, which was not, it, I have a lot of stories from working at Walmart. Oh yeah. We can <laughs> do a whole special episode, special bonus episode. I mean, I worked at like Emo's and that compared to McDonald's, that was wonderful. Right. Was great. Like McDonald's is specifically designed to turn you into a cog in a very, very yeah. 
very specific way. And it is, it, at least then, I don't know if they still operate on the same model, but it was miserable. Yep. So my weird thing is, did you know, Michelle, that the U.S. once tried to nuke the moon? It's true. It's very true. What were they hoping to accomplish? They wanted to bomb the moon. And it was a very real, very thought out idea. So um, I became fascinated by this as one would. I was researching the Space Force. Maybe you've heard of it, Space Force. I learned that very specifically, it is because of satellites. And they think that the next big battle will, if there's a big, another world war or a cold war or any sort of war, they're going to go for the other country's satellites first. Because you can, yeah, because any kind of drone wars, things like that, they're run by satellites. And if you can get like, what's the highest ground you can get? It's space. If you can get up there and see everything. And so, um, and, you know, telecommunication, any kind of communication, the internet, all things are done by satellite now. So if satellites are taken out, we are in trouble. And so primarily people think Space Force is trying to get the upper edge on that. I was researching that and there was just this little footnote about, yeah, in 1958, 1959, there were plans to uh, blow up the moon with a nuclear bomb. So this was um, called Project A-119. And it was a largely secret project. And the United States military, this was during the space race. And it was right after the Russians got Sputnik. They can't get to the moon if the moon's not there. (laughs) That's exactly. Michelle? I was was joking. (laughs) That's exactly it. I know you're joking, but that's it. The Russians got Sputnik. We realized... The U.S. realized that we're not going to have dominance in this. There's a very likely chance they will land on the moon first. And if we can't land on the moon first, no one, no one will land on the moon. Oh, what an American thing to say. They, <laughs> I am so obsessed with this and it's so stupid, but that was it. It was a very um, research plan. And really they came very close to doing it. They had the resources. Um, the information now says um, Leonard Rifle was the leader of this and he's um, come out and said, yes, this was a real project and that they could hit a target on the terminator of the moon. That's where they want to hit it kind of on the outer edge because they wanted people to see the mushroom cloud. They're like, we need to hit it on the dark side of the moon. So the sun shines the light on it because we want it to be a powerful visual image of a nuclear mushroom cloud on the moon to show our dominance, to scare Russia, to boost morale of the United States. And so they were, they said we could hit our target on the moon within two miles, which is very impressive. And basically the only reason you will never guess, how do we know about this? This was a very classified project because it's very embarrassing. Right. Why would you, how do we know about this? There is a Mr. Show sketch about we're going to blow up the moon. Now NASA embarks on its most daring and exciting project yet. Thank you very much. We have an announcement to make uh, on July 4th of this year. America 
will blow up the moon. It's so stupid, but we did. We're going to blow up the moon with a nuclear bomb. And so basically the existence of Project A1- A119, which is what it was called, remained largely secret until the mid-1990s, when writer Key Davidson discovered the story while researching, any guesses how this was discovered? The life of Carl Sagan. Because a very young Carl Sagan was tapped to work on this project. He was the math guy to see what are the possibilities. Can we blow up the moon? So he worked with like Leonard Rifle, all these big, all these people. You do some bad jobs when you're young. Yeah, exactly. I see a connection. (laughs) How much did he get paid? Not much because you'll love this, especially as an academic. Um, He was researching the life of Carl Sagan, this author for a biography. And Sagan's involvement with the project was apparent from his application for an academic scholarship at the University of California, Berkeley in 1959. In the application, Sagan gave details of the project research, which Davison felt and later confirmed constituted a violation of national security. The leak consisted of Sagan in his CV revealing the titles of two classified papers from the A119 project. The 1958 paper, Possible Contribution of Lunar Nuclear Weapons Detonations to the Solution of Some Problems in Planetary Astronomy, and the 1959 paper, Radiological Contamination of the Moon by Nuclear Weapon Detonations. You know we're not smarter now you know there's some plan out there right now that is equally dumb. Do you want to know the main... So there's many reasons why people say, oh, we didn't blow up the moon. The main reason people say why we didn't blow up the moon is because they said, oh, we don't know what the fallout of the nuclear radiation will do. It's too dangerous. Or like what happens to Earth if there isn't a moon? Like, isn't that like... Yeah, if there's not a moon. Oh no, that actually, in none of my research, no one talked about that. No one was concerned about what do we do without a moon, which of course would be a problem because it affects the ocean. But the main concern was if we miss the moon, that nuke will come back to us, perhaps. That is a concern. That's valid. Or they just couldn't be sure that there wouldn't be nuclear fallout. Also, maybe we should just err on the side of not nuking things. Right. Um, Ultimately, the best world scenario was we just thought it would be better for morale if we actually got our shit together and landed on the moon. But here's my pet theory. Here's my pet theory about why they really didn't go through with it. So remember, we wanted this to be a big sign of power. We wanted to scare Russia. And they have people like Carl Sagan researching this. And the main thing, according to Carl Sagan's papers and his research and Leonard Reifel that they were working on, they came to them and said, if we blow up the moon with a nuke, can we see it from Earth? Because they wanted that visual. Because what good does it do to take out the moon if no one notices the mushroom cloud? (laughs) If you blow up a nuke with the moon and Russia doesn't see it, I mean, the moon with a nuke and Russia doesn't see it, did you really blow up the moon? So ultimately what happened was Carl Sagan said, look, 
the, the moon has a different atmosphere than earth. And so while you'll probably see the flash of light from earth because of the atmosphere, because of gravity, it won't make a mushroom cloud. And they wanted that visual. They needed a mushroom cloud on the moon. And when they learned that they couldn't have that, they said, nah, not worth it. So their plan was to literally take their giant ball and go home because the Russians were going to beat them. But when they found out they couldn't have a mushroom cloud, they took that ball and went home as well. And then just learned how to land on the moon. I also just love that little detail that we learned about this. Highly classic. Because Carl Sagan just wanted to pad his CV. On a scholarship, man. How am I supposed to tell people that I deserve this money if I can't talk about what I've done? You um, just have a black blank space in your CV for like three years because no. you're working on secret military projects. You won't, you won't get any funding that way. To blow up the moon. <laughs> this is why the aliens won't contact us. There's I like there's probably this thriving intergalactic community and like we don't. We don't go to Earth. <laughs> like just, just leave, leave them there. <laughs> Let the yeah, just, just yeah, make that whole area. So yeah, I learned that um, as a little teeny footnote in a really good Vice magazine article called "The Space Force Is Totally Serious." Stop laughing. So I'm gonna link that too because that was good. But man, I'm obsessed with the fact that the U.S. tried to nuke the moon because we were worried we wouldn't get there first. Look out, moon, America's gonna get you, gonna go kaboom. Was nice to admit you, cause you don't mess around with God's America. Time for pop culture. All right, my pop culture thing is so much fun. It's the most fun I've had in a long time. Do you know what uh, shit posting groups are? I do indeed. Okay. Are you in any? <laughs> no. Okay. I am. This is this has been one of my pandemic side effects. Is that what? I'm shocked. I love them. Like it is the it is giving me hope for humanity. Um, in a time when I don't have much, and obviously shouldn't because we try to blow up the moon. So. Um, <laughs> So for those of you who do not know, I'm going to try to explain them. You can jump in if you have a better explanation. So this is hard to concisely explain. Yeah. So, yeah. so shitposting groups are online communities that are based around a particular fandom and the people within that group kind of develop their entire own culture and like norms and, but they, they basically communicate almost entirely with memes from that fandom. So I'm in um, a shit posting group for the good place called uh, the good place shirt posting. Cause they all have like these witty, like um, plays on the word shit posting. Right. Um, because you can't say shit in the good place. So this shirt um, I'm in one for the Gilmore girls, which is the Gilmore girls bit posting. And I love it because like we've talked on here about how the Gilmore girls um, d- hasn't really lived up like hasn't hasn't aged well right like it you know I I enjoyed it a lot when I was when I watched it the first time and I even rewatched it several times but then like watching it in recent years like I find there's problems with it but this this group also does so like a lot of the posts are about that kind of like dissecting the show from that perspective um I'm in one for Hamilton I can't remember what the 
probably shot posting, you know, in that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, That would be obvious. So, and I'm in one for Parks and Rec called pit posting because, you know, the the pit in Parks and Rec. (laughs) It's really interesting to me because so many of them have clearly have their own like little personalities and quirks. Like they, like there's different kind of moods to them, right? Like this one is like, some of them are a lot more political than others. Some of them are a lot more um, like kind of dark and edgy and it doesn't necessarily fit with the show, right? Like, it's not like just because this is a dark and edgy show, it's a dark and edgy shitposting group. Like they, they kind of just kind of have their own little flavors that come with them. But anyway, so the Parks and Rec pit posting group um, is, or not, yeah, Parks and Rec pit posting group is delightful and <laughs> Um, the other day it got taken over by jokes about Jerry's penis. <laughs> so the way that this started was there was like a, like the four point, I think, I think Punnett square is probably an accurate descri- depiction, right? There's two things on the Y axis and two things on the X axis. And then, it, so there's four total things like that where each of them intersect so across yeah. the top, it says, knows what sex is, doesn't know what sex is. And down the column, it says, fucks, doesn't fuck. And I don't get this entire meme. That apparently, it has gone around in a couple of the shitposting groups with different characters in it. I just, I don't understand it. Um, but in this one, they have put Ron Swanson under fucks and knows what sex is. They put Andy under fucks and doesn't know what sex is. They have put, um, gosh, now I can't think of his name either. Um, Tom, Tom Haverford, Tom Haverford under knows what sex is and doesn't fuck. And they put Jerry under doesn't fuck and doesn't know what sex is. And the, (laughs) you can see already, uh, (laughs) the comments just took this person to task. They're like, what? Jerry (laughs) fucks, right? Like, (laughs) they're like over and over and over again. Like, do you even watch the show? It's canon. It's canon that his wife is happy and that they have a wonderful marriage. And like, he's a, like, so it, it was- The comments are just killing me. Jerry Fox, Jerry Fox a lot. Jerry Fox. <laughs> Everyone knows Jerry Fox. Jerry Fox, ends of story. That man has the biggest penis I've ever seen, right? So, which that's, that's a thing from the show. That's right? a running joke, yeah. Yeah. So- because of this thread, which is 250 comments of people telling this person how wrong they were for making this meme this way, for the next two weeks, 95% of the memes on this were just about giving <laughs> <giant> penis. <laughs> so my pop culture thing is that this group successfully crowdfunded in a, under an hour to pay Jim O'Hare, the actor who plays Jerry, by a cameo to come on and respond to these memes about his childhood. That is the happiest thing. And he he was delightful in it. Like you can watch it. It's it's posted on the group. Like you can go and see it. And it's a public group. You don't even have to join it to watch it. And he was just, he was so fun and generous and gracious like it it, he is just it it made my whole week like I was like this is this is the most fun that I've had in so long and he was he was clearly having fun with it the group was so happy about it and it was just nice to see these people come together around this very silly thing 
and I enjoyed it a lot. It was just delightful. I highly uh-huh. recommend some shit posting groups in your chosen fandoms. I think that that's the it is if you're gonna be on the internet anyway, if you can't make your Facebook go away, you should at least have some shit posting feed. How I don't use Facebook much. How do you find how would you find them? Do you search in Facebook? Do you search Google? So the only way that I found so actually the way I've been finding more of them is that um there's a whole culture of cross-posting. So there's a culture of like using yeah. a Hamilton meme, but putting in like the names, uh, like turning it into something that um, reflects on, you know, the good place. And then you would put cross posted from Hamilton shot post posting or whatever. And so that's how I found a lot of them. But if you just search like, um, you know, whatever group you're looking for, and then the word shit posting, it will probably come up. Okay. So my pop culture, um, I'm going to keep it brief because I, I told myself I would not keep watching a Netflix show and then just bringing it as a pop culture because I do that a lot. But guess what, everyone? Here we go I again. Sit at home. I sit at home and watch Netflix. What can I tell you? I mean, you know, um, Netflix is accessible. You're helping the masses find or avoid. Yeah, exactly. I did. Th- I thought this was a new Netflix thing. It was advertised to me. It's actually from 2018. I don't know why it showed up. In my advertisements, Netflix, but they know what's up. I will say that I watched it and I have my brother visiting me who I highly respect. And then I made him watch it and watching it with him. If anyone knows my brother, my middle brother and can watch it with him, that's really what I'm recommending. (laughs) watch the show with him because it was to watch him exactly rent him (laughs) um it's worth the money and uh watch this with him because to watch him I watched it I'll explain what it is in a second and it was just very stupid pretty depressing I think like trying to blow up the moon it will hurt your faith in in humanity but um I was, he was visiting. I was talking to him about like, what are kind of the bad, worst pop culture things you've been watching? And I said, oh, I I see yours and raise you this. And so watching him go from um, kind of, okay, let's see what you got to laughing to utterly horrified, just in shock to laughing again to then just looking up and reading articles about it into the night was really, really interesting. And I feel kind of this. So this show is, um, again, I thought it was new, but it's not. It's from 2016. It came to Netflix in 2018. It was on the BBC first. And it's this like mentalist magician in Darren Brown. And his name is spelled D-E-R-R-E-N, not D-A. And it's Darren Brown's The Push. And I get so upset about how if you throw the phrase social experiment around, it gives you carte blanche to do anything, right? Most social experiments throughout history, even the ones that had like academic credentials behind them were also torture experiments, but okay. Yeah, so it's keeping in mind. But of all these social experiments I've seen, some of those more like medical-based horror shows like birth control research in Puerto Rico aside... Um, which is more horrific. 
this is probably the most psychologically traumatizing one I've seen to where me and my brother were both left wondering, how was this allowed to be made? How did they get anyone to sign the releases for this? And they do explain how they tricked people into signing the releases for this. They had people audition to be on a show and they told everyone, oh, you didn't make it. But the releases said, actually, we can come up and film you doing other things for like months and months later. And so once they signed those releases to audition for something they thought was something else, it cleared the television production crew to then entrap them in this insane thing. And so basically the premise of it is, I won't give too much away or spoil it, but um, I am recommending it, but it is a horror show of humanity, is this mentalist and he just wants to watch these people suffer and make them suffer and see what they'll do. So he constructs an insanely elaborate situation. They rent out like a huge building. And the situation is, he has this person go to a very fancy charity gala. Everyone except this Mark, this main person, is an actor. And there are dozens and dozens. There's like 30, 40, 50 people in this building in this scenario being an actor. And he's in everyone's ear saying, say this, no, do this. This is what we're doing. And so throughout the whole night, basically, he does these little things to eventually see if he can make this civilian, this Mark, kill someone. Not for real. They, they go through the details of how they have massive special effects and a lot of safety precautions. But, but the, the person gonna think will think they are committing murder. And the thing that is so upsetting is that everything is against this person. The minute they step in, right, it is a huge, expensive production that if they say no to something, there's then dozens of actors there to go, no, do it. No, 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 no. It's Darren Brown's The Push. And it is just a very expensive, very meticulously constructed social experiment which psychologically traumatizes people to see if they will push someone off a building. Did and I won't say if they do it or not. And even if I did spoil it, or you know, the lead up to it is just so, you can't look away from it. And the psychological, so I won't say if, if the person does or not, but could you imagine being tricked into pushing someone off a building. And even then, if you're told, oh, it's fake, how do you, how could you sleep at night? Like knowing that you're capable of that and the television show should not be allowed to just do that to people. Has Did you research, like, has this person spoken out? The person who is like the, the subject said anything since? The subject. I read up on it and they signed the initial release, but they did have them sign a release after this was filmed and they knew what was up and they signed the release. Their Twitter, their current, this was done four years ago, five years ago, their current Twitter profile picture is them with the magician mentalist, Darren Brown, like with their arm around him laughing. They're like, yeah, it was great. I'm happy. I don't understand that. Well, it's the opposite of my pop culture. 
I know. I'm sorry. I, I wish I was going first this week so we could ameliorate mine with like your humanity is great. When we all get together, we can like have fun with each other and it's good hearted fun. And then I'm like, hey, guess what? I watched a show where someone was tricked into thinking they were capable of murder and it wasn't even, it's not even their fault, right? That high production and everything was like custom tailored so that you would do it. Well, because, you know, I mean, that's like a, a prevailing theory of, you know, ethics is that we're all capable of being terrible people if we are in the right conditions, right? Like that's that, and and that the reason that ethics is so important is because there is no such thing as somebody who is innately going to do the right thing. Like you have to constantly be making decisions and constantly be like, no, this is, I, I have already thought through, this is not a thing I will do. And now that I'm in the hard time, I'm gonna hold that line, right? Like I, I made this decision when I had the space to think it through. And like, it sounds like they're really. They gave them no space. Manipulating that, right? Like there are times where the person's like, no. And then everything in this falsely constructed world is set to say, you can't say no. There's no, no here. I do. I could talk on and on about it and I won't because I haven't thought through it enough, but um, I think it's worth, I think it's worth thinking about. And I'm, I'm very interested. I have a pet theory about shows about reality shows like the bachelor and other shows that once you enter into it, you don't have free will when there's such a, not that you have no free will, but you have very little because it's such a constructed reality where there's so much money, so many producers, they've been doing this forever. There's psychological screenings to make sure they get the kind of people who are going to go along with things that there is very little free will. Once you get onto the set of a reality show, you're going to do what they want you to do. And if you don't, they'll edit it to look like you're doing it. Right. And so this really pushed that. I've been thinking about that. Like how much, how much free will do you have on the set of a reality show? And then this show came along and made me go, oh. Oh, none. <laughs> none. And it's not making that argument. The show ultimately goes, oh, well, now that you know, be on the lookout. I'm like, for what? A television show trying to get you to commit murder? Like, I don't want that on my list of things I'm concerned about. I have a long enough list. I am going to, unlike unlike some other things I've talked about from Netflix, I am going to recommend watching it. It's interesting. But how many episodes is it? Just one. Oh, just it's like one. an hour and a half special. Okay. So you can just be done with it. It's called The Push. Okay, that brings us to research. So I'm going to confess my research thing is not very well researched because I just came across it today, late in the day. Um, but I wanted to talk about it because I think it's interesting. So um, to think of it more as a suggestion for further research than uh, complete research. So this is like at the conference when they ask you a question that you don't know the answer to and you're like, that's a really good idea. I could take that under consideration for future research. That's that's what, how my research the best is. trick. I'm currently going through, um, my, I'm teaching senior capstone, which is like the, the ultimate final thing you do as a student, as and as a major of art history. And they have to do presentations of research and they're very scared about the questions they're going to get. And I told him, here's a trick. 
just say, good question. I'll have to look into that. Or maybe you could, they don't believe me though. They, they say, people don't really do that. No one would buy that. I'm like, no, academics do it all the time. So I'm glad you brought that up, Michelle. Here's the secret. 90% of the people asking the questions don't care about your answer. They just wanted to hear themselves ask the question. So my research thing is this morning, I came across an article um, in the Atlantic about how we are teaching children to read wrong. And I almost didn't read it because there was an article. Because you read wrong? Because I read wrong. And I was like, no. No. Um, Well, technically, I mean, from if we'll we'll get there. I probably do read wrong. Um, So I almost didn't read it because I assumed that I already knew what it was about because just like last year or maybe the year before, because I lost a year. Um, (laughs) It's true. But recently or not, depending on how time works, I, I read another article that was like, we are teaching kids to read all wrong. And so I just assumed that this was talking about the same research, right? Because like, you know, all these like any of the pop magazine ones that have this kind of thing, they're all pointing to the same like scholarly study. They just kind of take their own spin on it or whatever. So, um, but it was not, it was a different way we're teaching kids to read wrong. So it wasn't even a contradiction of the earlier one. It's just that we're teaching them to read wrong in multiple ways. So this article was about how, because reading test scores are so important in America in particular, and I, and I noticed this trend, um, we have removed a lot of disciplinary study from the earlier grades, right? So like, we don't tend to teach science in early elementary. We don't tend to teach history in early elementary because we're like math and reading scores are the most important. And if you don't get your math and reading scores up and like the prevailing theory is what difference does it make if you can recite history facts if you don't know how to read, right? Um, so like you can kind of understand how they logic their way into this, but then the reading scores don't go up. So then those disciplinary studies continue to get pushed to the back burner, even into like upper elementary, early middle school. And then the kids get to high school and it's like, yeah, here, learn all of American history with no uh. Or, you know, foundational discussions about it. Um, But what they were talking about in this study was that, like, you don't comprehend things with decontextualized knowledge. So a lot of the reading passages on tests are like, they're about random things, right? Like, here's a passage about how snowflakes form. And now here's a passage about some character from the, or some character, some person from the Revolutionary War, when you don't even know, you can't even contextualize, like, when the Revolutionary War wasn't because you haven't learned about that. And so um, they were just talking about like how you can't expect people to do well on comprehension tests when they haven't had, when they don't have foundational knowledge that's building on each other over time, right? Like we're storytellers. We need to be able to like, be like, oh, this is connected to something I already know. This is what I can infer about it. But instead we're just asking kids to like make sense of things in a vacuum and that that is, not a good way to teach reading, right? So we don't do a very good job of understanding that um, reading and writing, you know, writing instructor, that that it is, um, that it is a form of, like that you are participating in the creation of information, regardless of which side of that flow you're on. Like we tend to think of it as like a one-way street, like you write the information and then like dump it in the head of the reader, right? But you are it's a mutual experience. You're constructing that meaning with them. And you can't do that if you don't have contexts in which to create your sense of meaning. So that was the study. 
that I read about today. Um, and that made me try to remember the details of the earlier study that I'd read. So I went and like grabbed that article. And again, I apologize. I did this late in the day because like it, so I don't have all of the details of this, but that earlier study from, I think it was from 2019 was saying, was just kind of reiterating that we have been in a fight. We being the educators of America for literally decades over how to teach children to read. And the two camps are the systematic phonics camp and the whole language camp. And the systematic phonics camp says you teach word, you teach children how to decode individual letter sounds so that they can sound out words. And the whole language camp says you teach kids how to identify words in the context of a story, right? Like, and we have the pendulum swings back and forth. So like a generation of kids, or maybe not even a full generation, like 10 years worth of kids will get one and then it'll swing back and they'll get the other and then it'll swing back and get the other. So like it has not been consistent throughout history of which which curriculum is being used. And it's not even consistent in like, because different parts of the country kind of pick up on different trends at different times. So it's not even consistent through the inner time. Yeah. Um, and so I was interested in this because, you know, I'm a homeschooling mom and I have two children. One is 10 and the other one is four. And my 10 year old 100% taught herself how to read when she was about three. And that is also how I learned to read. Like I just, I just read the way that I learned to talk. I don't like, I just was reading and then I continued to do it and kept getting better and better at it until I could read whatever I wanted. Right. And, and she's, in fact, today I was writing down the books that she's read for this year. Cause we're getting close to the end of the school year. So I was like taking a catalog and I had all the books that we had read together, but I asked her to go get me her um, iPad where she checks out all of her eBooks and audiobooks from the library. So I could write those down as well. And it's like, it was so many more than I thought. Like she <laughs> is just, she's just a voracious reader. Right. Um, but my four-year-old has been asking me to help him learn to read. And I'm like, oh, I don't know how to, how, how do you, to read? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, we've got a book, we're working through it. He's doing well. And, and the book that I chose is the systematic phonics approach, right? That you, mm. you learn letter sounds and you go and you, you build those letter sounds and you build the fluency that way. And it is definitely working for him. I don't know what, I, I'm not conducting my own little research experiment on my kid, but I'm happy with the approach. Um, but it just, it just makes me so frustrated that something so basic we can't come to an agreement on. Yeah. And that like, I feel like all these- Or that there isn't some combination of the two. Right. And the like whole language approach, which I, I'm sure I'm tipping my hand here. Like I tend to but I feel like the research base, it backs up the phonics approach more than the whole language approach. Um, I also found in my research that they say that- How does the whole, how does whole language approach work? Because I, I remember, I think my learning to read had to have been a combo, but when I remember school, I remember sitting there going, right, the phonics, clearly. How is whole language supposed to work? So you're supposed to use your context clues to guess what the word is based on like, well, for one thing, you're supposed to just kind of memorize what a word looks like. So it's almost like the way okay. you memorize a picture, right? Like the word cat looks like this. You're not really thinking about this is a C, this is cat, 
that you're just like cat looks like that, right? So you're supposed to memorize all of those words and what they look like. Um, but then the other thing that they were doing is, you know, they would be reading picture books and they're like, well, we'll guess based on the picture, what do you think this word is? And so like, you know, kids were saying like pale instead of bucket, which don't phonetically look anything yeah. like. like, yeah, good job. You're using your context clues. I'm like, no, like, that's not. So I found that research says that only one to 7% of kids figure out how to crack the code of, of phonics on their own so that there are, there are a handful of kids who, and like, my daughter 100% taught herself to read. Like she just, cause I am of the opinion, like I don't push a lot of formal academics at that early of an age. I'm like, just let them come to it naturally. So she was too young for me to have started trying to teach her to read and she was reading. And at, at first I thought she was doing, you know, she had just memorized the books that we'd read a lot, but then we would start yeah. getting new ones and she would be, I was like, okay, well clearly she, she knows these words. So she had to have figured it out on her own. Um, but they say that a lot of children who do that are actually, they have a condition called hyperlexia and they struggle with reading comprehension because like, I, I don't, like the decoding process is taking up a lot of their mental space and they're good at that, but they're not necessarily good at then connecting those words that they've read to like the larger comprehension. So it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's hard to win all the way around. Yeah. Are they faster readers often? Yeah. And maybe they're skipping. Ooh, that's so that's what people should go out and research for. Yes. Go figure out how kids should learn to read and then tell us because we certainly can't agree about it. Currently, the research-based consensus seems to be around the phonics, but there have been times in history when the research we were justifying the whole language. But I mean, I feel like teachers are just like quit it. Like, let me learn how to teach these kids how to read because I can't relearn an entire system of practice every year. You know, like I want an approach that works. Or at least that you, yeah, can. Especially when you're tying their pay and promotion and job security to those test scores. Okay. So I, Michelle, I have a confession. (laughs) Which is not dissimilar, if not completely the same, the mirror image of yours, which is that I also, um, mine is under research, which is I read something interesting, but don't have any bigger things to link it to and just want to encourage everyone to think through it. Although, interestingly enough, we've already kind of linked up to it. So I read a really, 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 I didn't think it would be an interesting article um, reading and it was in Wired Magazine, which I don't even know how I found this. I don't read Wired Magazine. And it was called, they hacked McDonald's ice cream machines and started a cold war. And I am kind of obsessed with memes about McDonald's ice cream machines being broken. They're They're very popular. Yes, they're always broken. And as two former employees of McDonald's who were never allowed to work the ice cream machines. Um, because let us reach our full potential. We could have fixed those ice cream machines. All of the problems are based on McDonald's keeping their workers trapped in their cogs. Oh, but we couldn't have. Not even you and I. <laughs> because I learned so much in this article. Um, I will say for the research that I would, if I had had more time, I would have, I'm interested in um, right to repair 
issues right now where, um, you know, companies, Apple's always the big one, which is that you're not allowed to fix your own electronics, your own John Deere's another one where they don't allow, they make it impossible, right? These companies, especially electronics companies, make it impossible for you to understand how your own things work. And even if you do know how they work, you cannot get into them. They make it very hard for you to get into any sort of back end of these machines. You would break it. Yeah. Exactly. It breaks if you try to get in so that you can't fix them and they're all designed to break, right? That they, you know, the um, planned obsolescence. So I've been interested in that. I teach a lot of technology classes. So, but I did not know that in this um, flurry of reading about right to repair, that my curiosity about why, sorry, (laughs) why, why the, um, why the, McDonald's ice cream machines always being broken would send me down a rabbit hole that ultimately is about right to repair and about the internet in really interesting ways. So I will link to the article. I highly recommend you read it because even though I'll talk about it quite a bit, there is a whole like spy intrigue mystery in the middle that I won't talk about. We're actually gasped at parts like the betrayal. So it's worth it for that. But this is basically about a Silicon Valley kind of tech startup, which is, oh, everything needs to be bigger and better and automated. So there's no good guys in this. So this was a company who basically started out wanting to make automated frozen yogurt machines, right? Get rid of people. We don't even need workers, boo. They wanted to put frozen yogurt machines that didn't need human beings to operate in like mall kiosks in stadiums. And so they needed to figure out um, how to do this. And in learning that, they learned that frozen yogurt machines and ice cream machines are actually really, really difficult pieces of machinery, but they also are very outdated pieces of machinery that haven't been updated in ages, primarily because there's a bit of a monopoly on ice cream machines and frozen yogurt machines, most of them are built by one company called Taylor. But they always break and there's no way to know why they break when they break. There's no way to fix them. And so all the McDonald's, and McDonald's are franchises, all the franchises then have to pay for the Taylor repairman. That's the only people who can repair them are the Taylor repair and servicemen. And so any franchise will spend like millions of dollars in ice cream repair. And it's very expensive. And even if the machine's not broken, at least once a month, they have to take the whole machine apart and put it back together for no conceivable reason. So that's very And they're like, oh, it's closed for cleaning. And it's like, why? But okay. Yeah. And so a lot of times, even if they're broken, it's so complicated and expensive to fix them, they just won't. So they put the sign up and say, it's broken. It costs them a lot of money. So this company basically, they started their automated frozen yogurt and one day they had to call Taylor up, it was broken. And they watched them type in a code of 5231. And all of a sudden the screen showed the whole back end of the computer, of the machine. And they could see what had gone wrong. They could see what the settings were. And they asked him, what's that? And he's like, oh, 
nothing, nothing. So they basically spent the next few years finding a way to reverse engineer that. And they made a little gadget that you could put to the ice cream machine. It hooks up to your phone and then it communicates to your phone. How is the machine doing? Is it being cleaned? Is it going to break? Is it overfilled? What's the temperature? Anything you would want to know about a machine you own, if you want to like deal with it. It didn't mean that they could then repair it themselves, but if it broke, they would get an alert. Ultimately, the article goes into lots of interesting details about how the franchisees loved it. It got very popular. They made a good business. And then McDonald's got wind of it. Taylor got wind of it. And they systematically, through illegal means, they're currently in lawsuits with them, just shut it down, shut it down under false pretenses, illegal pretenses. And like I said, this was a Silicon Valley tech company that wanted to get rid of employees and human beings and automate everything. So they're not heroes, but they're all compared to McDonald's and Taylor ice cream machines. They are small, um, almost a mom and pop tech startup, I guess. And the way these superpower corporations shut them down is very interesting and depressing, but it's also just fascinating how, I learned so much about right to repair and technology and the internet through the mystery of why McDonald's ice cream machines are always broken. And they're always broken because these machines are very complicated and they're basically like your Apple computer, right? Your Apple computer, if it breaks, you have to take it to a Apple store and these, you have to get the Taylor repairman there. And that is why. And it's just, I'll link to it, but it was really fascinating. I literally gasped at points, clutched my fists, um, gnashed my teeth, and really want ice cream. Not from McDonald's, no. but I want I want some soft serve. Where do I get my ice cream from? What's your, what's your ice cream preference? My ice cream go-to these days is, have you had Jenny's ice cream? I have had Jenny's. When did I have Jenny's? Yes, I've had Jenny's, but I can't remember when. Ladyfinger's Letterpress, which I've talked about in the podcast before, thankfully still open despite not getting paid from paper source. They sell Jenny's ice cream at their store. Um, My go-to ice cream, well, is that locally there's like just this little creamery that's here that gets it from like local farms and that that's the best ice cream and I say that even though I'm in St. Louis and can get Ted Drew's I still think the creamery has better ones but uh, ooh, ooh, big I word. fighting words fighting words I'm gonna we're probably losing some followers over that so, I'm not knocking Ted Drew's Ted Drew's is probably still second I just the Tower Grove creamery. The creamery I've never been if it's that good there's a, there's a lot of ice cream places there's also there's one called um that's near me that's called oh Ice is plain and fancy, which they got from the name of like an old cookbook for like how to make ice cream. And um, they make it with dry ice. So the whole, like the, it fills with like the smoke from the dry ice. And they, that's fun. Um, so there's a lot of good ice cream places here. I don't get to go to them anymore because it's a pandemic, but someday. It's late, but I'm going to get ice cream. I kind of want some too. What is your favorite ice cream? I, this is my like go-to question for people, but I do like to know genuinely, what's your favorite ice cream flavor? Probably the fish food from Ben and Jerry's like Ben and Jerry's fish food is just 
it's the caramel marshmallow mix that I think it just just gets me. This might be controversial, but I feel like when asking or saying your favorite ice cream flavor, Ben and Jerry's is almost a separate category. Oh, I mean, like, see it. There's like, like classic like, flavor and then Ben and Jerry. Because how so, can you compete so with Ben and Jerry flavor? I, I I usually get like the moose tracks. I like the moose tracks. Ooh, that's com- that's too complex. <laughs> fish food is it's very similar to fish food. Yeah, fish food's too complicated for me. My favorite Ben and Jerry's I can't find anymore. It was just red velvet and I don't think it's out anymore. But now my favorite Ben and Jerry's is chubby hubby. What's your favorite non Ben and Jerry's? What's your favorite? Mint chocolate chip. Mint chocolate chip. I like mint chocolate chip is my second favorite. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now everybody knows that information. let's let's i like when we recap my weird thing was that a tiktok user said that Kristen bell made 15 million dollars for gossip girl and she did not my weird thing was that in 1959 the u.s very genuinely attempted to nuke the moon (laughs) and only didn't because they didn't get a mushroom cloud mushroom cloud My pop culture thing was shit posting groups, specifically the Parks and Rec pit posting group and Jim O'Hara's cameo. My pop culture was Darren Brown's The Push, in which he took away a poor, poor, a poor, poor soul's um, free will and tried to get them to commit fake murder on Netflix. My research thing was that we cannot come to a consensus on how to teach children to read, despite years and years and years of trying to figure it out. How long have people been reading? Come on. Um, And my weird thing, I mean, my research thing is that was learning about why McDonald's ice cream machines are broken all, all the time. Okay. So... This is a hard one. I mean, I think one theme here is just sort of like, I think, actually, I think it's the shit posting group that's throwing it off because all the rest of them are kind of like, this is why we can't have nice things, right? Like the, like, yeah. keep, keep screwing. <laughs> this maybe I've gotten to it too fast, but like, you don't deserve nice things, but sometimes you get them anyway. Oh. <laughs> We don't just, oh, well, <laughs> we don't just, um, you, we mean like people, like, like the human humanity, race. humanity yeah. doesn't deserve nice things. I, okay. Let's keep that. Let's keep that in our back pocket. Humanity doesn't deserve nice things, but sometimes we get them. I just love, I love that karmic. So the karmic balance there to you is we might try to blow up the moon but we do get a cameo from jerry about whether he fucks right, right. <laughs> um yeah or okay so i like that i like that but is there something is there something about like when people get together humanity as a group and makes decisions we can have outputs that range from blow up the moon to make make these groups that are just full of humor and wonderfulness to 
making ice person into committing murder. Convince someone to commit murder. Make an ice like ice cream is a great invention by humanity, but then we make machines that are so complicated we can't have ice cream anymore. We make machines that make them slightly less complicated, and then we make a legal system that takes those machines away. Machines (laughs) away. No, I think that just reiterates your point about we shouldn't have nice things, but sometimes we do. Or we we have nice things. We take those nice things away. There seems to be something cyclical about nice things and not deserving them or not why we can't have them. And there's also maybe something, there's something here. There's a connection about like looking at the surface of something and just running with it. Cause like the, the TikTok, right? Like this guy looked at the one line that came up from the article that he Googled and just assumed that it was about that, like just put two concepts together that didn't actually go together and then just ran with it, right? And made this TikTok that blew up and like bombing the moon. They were like, we can fix this. Like we can fix this problem. The Russians can't get there first. We've got it. Um, and just, if there's no moon, no one can get to it. Instead and like, of let's try harder and get to the moon first. Like the learning to read, like we just kind of want to go with whatever seems like, well, this seems like it will work. Let's just go with that. You know, like, um, so there's something about like not being willing to dig deeper for some of these, but I don't know if that- Meanwhile, the ship posting thing, which I think arguably is like the only good thing we had today, which was great, which was you just go deeper and deeper and deeper. That is about depth. There is no- That is about such an absurdist depth that it can only create joy. Yeah, yeah. In depth, there is joy. There's pleasure in depth. If you you dig deep enough, you'll get happiness. You have to dig deep for your own happiness. Okay. Okay. I'm not happy with that. I don't think I've dug deep enough. <laughs> I've not found my happiness yet. Surface, surface is simple, but depth is delightful. And I think that, that deserving is still in there. Like what, what we deserve or don't deserve as a, as a collective. Yeah. Yeah. Because what do you deserve with shit? But like, that's a waste of time, but it brings you joy. I mean, it's not a waste of time, but you know, the absurdity of the minutia is. We don't deserve nice things, but we get them. Are we going to go back to that? I think it works. Is there is there a way we can improve it? Like, can we tweak it a little and improve it? We don't deserve nice things, but sometimes we get them anyway, I think. Um, and vice versa. No. We do deserve some nice things and sometimes we don't get them. No, I don't like that. I don't like that reverse. No, you know what? I think... I think I think we dug deeper and we returned to our surface. And I think that's good. What do you think? Sure. I'm going to go out and hope that I randomly get some good because we probably don't deserve it. <laughs> I know. I feel like we're not. I feel like karmically I'm going to go commit murder or something. I'm going to get tricked into committing murder because I'm not working through this enough. We don't deserve nice things, but sometimes we get them. 
or you can go buy yourself ice cream. There's always ice cream, which is a recurring theme on this show. You know, for I talk about ice cream a lot here for somebody who doesn't actually eat that much ice cream. Well, it was something that we like, we would often like walk to places and go get it. And so like, since we haven't been out and about, it's been one of my, one of the casualties. It'll come back. If we deserve nice things together as a collective. What if ice, oh, we, we don't deserve nice things. Sometimes we get them, but you can always get ice cream, but you can't right now. I mean, I, I can get humanity. It. I can get my fish food from Target when it's in stock once every 10th try of ordering it. I really like how socially conscious Ben and Jerry's is with like their hard hitting infographic cartoons. Did, have you listened to the How I Built This for them? No. So that would be a good one. It is a really good one, though it's kind of sad because like they ended up selling like that. I I'm having my own personal things about like growing big and selling and not, but that's, I'll leave that for now. But anyway, there's a metaphor in, there's a metaphor in that episode that I think about all the time because they were arguing in the early days when they were trying to figure out, like you put the things in the ice cream, right? You put the chocolate chunks, you put the swirls. And I can't remember which one it was, but one of them was like, we have to figure out how to make it consistent so that you you can't just have like, where you have lots of bites with no chunks, people will be upset. And the other one was like, no, as long as the chunks, when they get them are big enough and good enough, they'll be happy. And so like, it, was, it wasn't about the consistency, which actually is very similar to our- <laughs> Did we just dig deep enough that we deserve it? That we deserve it. Because, because the, the idea there was that the chunks, that you'll, as long as you know that it's coming, you'll be okay with waiting for it. There's no consistency to good things. But, but they can come and you just need to wait. I like that better than deserving or not deserving good things. Just wait for the chunks. They're just not wait. consistent. Just wait for the inconsistent chunks. Wait for your inconsistent chunks. The moon might explode. The ice cream machine might be broken, but the chunks will come. They will be big. And they will be delicious. Gooey and delicious. <laughs> chunks. <laughs> That's it. That's the it. chunks will come. I really love that. Chunks will come. I, I do love that it took us digging just deep enough to, to get there. I think that is I feel so much better. I feel like I'm going to walk out of my house and not get tricked into killing someone now. I'm glad we fixed that because that was... That was oh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, the chunks will come. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.